Okay, welcome to Node Up number 69, or Node Down as the case may be, because you've got two Australian hosts today. Um, I'm Rod Vag, and we have also... Tim Oxley. Hey, how's it going? Awesome. So we have a special peer-to-peer show today, and we've got some um, some special guests that are going to talk about some really crazy uh, mad science that's going on in uh, the peer-to-peer community. Today we have uh, sponsors for the show. We've got Codeship, we've got Lyft Security, and, and Yet... Uh, we'll talk a bit more about them as we get into it. Uh, but first of all, I think we should introduce our guests. So first of all, we've got uh, Matthias Boos. Matthias, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on the show. So my name is Matthias. I'm a Node.js hacker. Uh, I'm, I live in Copenhagen, Denmark. Uh, so I've been doing Node for a couple of years now, since the 0.2 days. So I guess that's four or five years, something like that. Wow, that's a long time. Um, I'm really... In general, really fond of math science stuff, and uh, I tend to offer a lot of modules. Um, uh, currently, these days, I'm contributing to the that project that Max Ogden runs. Yeah. Ooh. Um, Dominic Tarr. Hey. Yeah. Uh, so I'm currently I'm riding around on going to conferences and then riding around on this recumbent bicycle I built and uh, writing lots of Node modules, a lot about LevelDB and data replication and um, uh, now crypto and peer-to-peer. And that bicycle of yours, is. did you make that bicycle from scratch? Well, I welded other bicycles together. Yeah, and it's still surviving. That's amazing. Well done. Um, as- I'm now up to, now up to 1,800 kilometers. <laughs> Crazy. Wow. Um, and Feroz, uh, Booker DJ, is on the line as well. Feroz, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm a hacker based in Mountain View, and uh, I like to play around with WebRTC stuff. So um, just think peer-to-peer is pretty cool. So I, I uh, started the uh, WebTorrent project, and I've been working on that for like the past uh, probably like six, seven months now. Yeah, if you if you are doing anything with peer-to-peer and you haven't heard of Feroz, then you're probably not fully into peer-to-peer. So Feroz is in there deep doing BitTorrent and all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, Tim. Yeah, so uh, originally Australian developer, uh, and I've moved to Singapore, uh, started up a meetup here. Uh, I run CampJS in Australia. I've uh, been running some Node School events, did some did a Node, two Node School workshops. Um, you know, just doing things on GitHub, been, you know, doing things basically, code things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm Rod Vag. Um, I'm a coder as well, like the rest of these guys. Uh, I work with NodeSource, and uh, we have a mission to help JavaScript conquer the world, um, or at least the enterprise anyway. So that's what we're up to. Um, so to introduce our topic, peer-to-peer. So there's been a lot of talk recently about how the Node community is starting to sort of diversify and split up into these separate sub-communities, these separate ecosystems um, that are focusing on interesting topics um, that are generally quite discrete. Uh, one of those areas is the peer-to-peer community. Um, and it's, you know, it's got this, these core driving values and these passions that are you know, connecting these people together. Um, so we're going to have a look at that. We're going to have a look at what defines the community and how it's grown. We're going to look at some of the interesting problems that are being tackled because that's ultimately why people are in these communities is because they're tackling interesting problems. Um, and then another interesting topic is what, if anything, does Node have to offer here that's special? Or is it just that this is the Node peer-to-peer community and it's this just you know, there's other peer-to-peer communities and this one just happens to be focused around Node. 
Um, so that's the, the outline of what we're going to talk about. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about one of our sponsors, CodeShip. Um, CodeShip is a continuous deployment uh, system made simple. You can set up continuous integration in a few steps and automatically deploy when all of your tests have passed. They have great support for lots of languages and test frameworks. There's integration with GitHub and Bitbucket. You can deploy to cloud services like Heroku, AWS, Nojitsu, Google App Engine, and your own servers. Uh, it's simple and super, super simple to set up um, and deploy to Modulus. Um, it, it just takes a few clicks, literally, just to deploy to Modulus because they're all so integrated. You can start with a free plan. Setup only takes three minutes. Go to codeship.io slash nodeup to learn more. When you sign up, use the discount code NODEUP and get 20% off any of their plans for three months. Um, also check out their blog, which is blog.codeship.io and follow them on Twitter, at Codeship. So that's our first sponsor. Now, part one um, of our discussion, we're going to be talking about some of the history around the Node peer-to-peer community. Um, and, I, and I thought we could bring in Dominic for this chat because Dominic has been um, involved since some of the early days when this community was forming. Um, and I wanted to hark back to last year, I think it was, we had um, PeerConf, which was sponsored by uh, Neoform in Ireland. Um, and Dominic, do you want to talk, talk to us about what PeerConf was about, uh, what the, who was there, what was discussed, um, and what that sort of spurred? Right. So, so PeerConf was sort of a, a, a joke that got out of hand, um, really. So Mag- our friend uh, Magnus had stumbled upon this, this like, Swedish uh, peer-to-peer expert who had um, – he did this talk at um, – the Cast Communica- uh, Computer Club Congress, like a few years ago, and had like described all these things that he like knew how to do, but um, but didn't have time to explain how to how he did them. And it was things like, um, you know, designing a random network that kept all of the pairs together um, and couldn't have net, net splits in thousands of years, and um, some way of like he could count all of the nodes in the system. And uh, all kinds of like interesting things about different peer-to-peer t- t- topologies and stuff. They had all figured out, but it's like, but I don't have time to explain this. And he just had like a website and a um, and very little information. And then we tried to like email him, and then the website disappeared and and stuff. And we were like, who is this mysterious figure? And um, so on. And, and so Magnus, who had who had found him, so I suggested what we should do is we should fly him to to uh, Dublin, where we were uh, we knew form and and I was based um, approximately at the time, um, and we should get him to teach us everything we know. And, you know, people organize conferences sometimes, you know, they can't help it but organize more and more conferences. So he wanted just like, well, we're going to have PeerConf, and, um, but we couldn't find the guy. So I was like, well, Magnus, he's, he's Swedish, you're Swedish, we know, his, we know his last name, just call all of the Gothenburgs in the phone book until you, until you find someone who knows him. And Magnus, Magnus did this, and we found him. And then we um, we flew him to Ireland, and we had a a, a two day conference uh, with just one speaker, um, one speaker. And this was also this moment was also quite uh, pivotal for the LevelDB community because there are a lot of um, LevelDB D people who were who were also present. So it was also many discussions about um, things, and also being so, like all prolific. Uh, module developers, it also kind of incepted the idea of um, what if we had a peer-to-peer package manager? Yeah, I, I, if I recall, there were some 
um, pretty crazy ideas that came out of that. And I, I don't think Substack was at that one, but um, we, we no. the videos are are the videos available online for the that? videos are all up um, on on YouTube. Okay, we have to get the did, link. Did you that. say that there was one speaker? It was only one speaker. Conference? Only one yeah. speaker. Did he do multiple yeah. talks or just one speaker and one talk? It was like it was a couple well, of days, wasn't it? Was it like it was two, two? He talked for two days. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, but it was uh, many. Uh, it was it was largely a discussion as well. But it was a relatively small group, and yeah, you know, people sitting in bean bags, and this guy giving it a talk, and people, you know, asking him questions. And were you, were you there, Rod? I was there. Um, oh wow! And I recall um, Dominic getting really inspired about. I think it was Merkle trees back then. That was the. That was the thing that you really got obsessed about from then, wasn't it, Dominic? Uh, uh, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there, like, there was a lot of ideas in there that he presented. Some of them were um, he just presented ideas. Some of them he presented um, like solutions, how to actually do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of spawned all of these different things that went off. And people went away. They watched the videos. They... Um, got obsessed by these little ideas, and we saw just this proliferation of modules, uh, if I recall, from after that event. Um, and th- was th- was there another peer comp this year? Well, um, we were talking about it, and it kind of um, we kind of tacked something onto um, this decentralized camp, which was like looked like it was going to be nice. It was sort of more of an indie web thing, which is slightly different, but um, we kind of some of us turned up at that and um so the way so but there's a there's a few things that we'll all be at again so so there was a little um renegade peer conf in um in node no at node camp where we went and found a room and discussed at node conf you mean peer to peer stuff yeah node conf and if i recall that that was happening in parallel to some other important events so it was like the properly renegade renegade group that was turning its back on everything <laughs> I see. I see some more in the in the near future. <laughs> um, so, is, so this uh, this community that's forming is is it really like it? What is it embodying that um, is making it different to these other communities that are forming? I know there's this, there's a there seems to be a certain level of uh, attraction to anarchy. Is that is that one of the defining characteristics of what's going on? <laughs> well, what does um, anarchy even mean? Personally, for me, my definition of an anarchist is an anarchist is someone who doesn't care whether or not, or not the next person thinks they're an anarchist or not. Okay. <laughs> or, or an anarchist could be somebody that tries to redefine what anarchy means. Sure. Like you. Uh, <laughs> um, well, so what are the other <laughs> things that are driving people to, like, I know that, um, like, Magnus, for instance, is, has got an obsession with Bitcoin. Um, mm. there's, there's this 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 thing that... Um, I don't know if everyone has in common that is passionate about this area, but um, can can you can anyone who's on this try and define what that is? Um, like what is it that is attracting people here, or ideally? Oh, well, I can take well, a stab at. I can say sort of what I'm motivated by. Go ahead. Um, so I mean, I just I think that um, I think that freedom is really awesome, and like the world needs more freedom. So anything that I can do to like kind of take away power from those who wield it against like the rest of the world uh and you know is is a, is a good thing so like trying to to decentralize the web and take like, power out of the hands of like the very few who are kind of gobbling up all these little things that used to be so you know nice and independent 
and kind of, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's too, too, uh, too deep, but yeah, it's just kind of like a little bit of sticking it to the man and a little bit of just kind of like, I don't know, this is the closer to the world that I'd like to see. Mm. But you, Matthias? Well, I, I agree with that part about sticking it to the man. Everybody likes that. <laughs> um, I also, um, I'm really fond of the idea that I can sit down and I can write a hundred line note module that will be used by millions of people that all join into this kind of network thing. I think that's like that idea that I can do that is so crazy that I have to do it. So, so does that suggest that Node has something special to offer here for peer-to-peer? Is it is there something special that Node that intersects with Node and peer-to-peer that makes it um, particularly powerful, or is it well, just uh, just a common interest? Well, and in, 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 in my point, one of the really really cool things about Node is that you can do a TCP socket in two lines of code, right? Two or three lines of code. Uh, not all, not that many platforms have have that kind of expressive power that allows you to just sit down and do that without too much ceremony. So that kind of thing really helped me uh, rapidly iterate Peter P programs, I guess. Um, also, the fact that now it runs everywhere means that it's very easy to you know, get it installed on Windows, Macs, everywhere. People don't really need to know much about computers to run your programs. So, mm-hmm. um, Also, just the power of NPM. I mean... Uh, Every time Dominic does something crazy, it's super easy for me to use that in something else, and uh, that just makes things move way faster and makes Node an ideal platform for this kind of thing, I think. There's a bit of a yeah. reflection uh, in you know, the whole distributed internet thing and also you know, kind of like distributed building software. You know, with, with NPM, it allows you to sort of build more, you know, more smaller pieces, uh, and that's kind of a... Uh, it's, there's no sort of central, it, well, there doesn't have to be, like, central, you know, frameworks for this stuff. You know, people can build things uh, distributedly. Well, the, um, you know, the, the people involved are really decentralized. We're just, like, um, nobody's, we're not each other's boss. We're just, like, freely collaborating on shared problems. On the On the other hand as well, I think there's a lot of... Um, there's just a lot of interesting computer science that can happen here. Like you're really on, um, like this is where the mad science comes sometimes, you know, has risk of becoming um, sane science actually, because um, it's not, um, there's stuff that like, it's pretty easy to get to the limits of peer to peer where you're like, it's you're just into the stuff that that is now, it's just open questions and unsolved problems. And um um, nobody really knows. You could build something that no one's built before. Yeah, I think there's some overlap with the um, the, the databases, Node databases community there, where um, it's being able to tackle some really interesting algorithmic problems um, that um, are otherwise difficult to get to, um, and Node sort of makes it easy to break them apart into smaller smaller problems that you can tackle more easily. Um, so, uh, Dominic, do you want to talk to us about NPMD? Um, because I know this is something that's still ongoing. Um, you've been working on it for a right. while. Um, and I even noticed the other day that Isaac referenced it in, his, in some, some discussion he had about the future, of, um, the, the future of NPM client itself. Can you tell us about what NPMD is, what the inspiration is, and where it's going? Right. So, so NPMD was an um, alternative uh, NPM client. Um, that started out, I wanted to test out some crazy ideas with LevelDB. Um, 
which was like replicating all the data locally so you could resolve really fast and stuff like this. And um, I've since actually um, uh, backtracked there and like refactoring stuff. So now it doesn't actually do that, but it's more correct and works better um, and installs. It's like 90%. Uh, it's pretty, it works pretty good. I, that's what I, I'm now using it um, mostly, but um, I only really work on it when I feel particularly um, um, inspired. And it turns out writing a package manager is really hard <laughs> because there's uh, um, loads of edge cases. But you've also built a bunch of uh, little pa you know packages to go along with NPMD. Uh, and I use some of them. Uh, just you know the the things that you've built uh, in the way of uh, getting MT NPMD out. Uh, uh, that that there has been I think really really useful in itself. Yeah, I think one thing that has to be like NPM itself is is um, quite l monolithic and cumbersome, but it was also written before we had. Um, you know, before the Node, Node community had figured out how to how to build Node, how to write Node programs really well, like well, I'm sure if NPM was so, written before NPM. Exactly. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if it's completely up to date, but at least until recently, it, NPM didn't even use strings, and that's like sort of unimaginable. But it was written before strings were in Node. Um, and so, uh, Dominic, as well, something else that is, has ended up being quite popular is, um, is Scuttlebutt. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us what Scuttlebutt is and oh, right. the so, kinds of things so, it's used for? So Scuttlebutt uh, was um, inspired by uh, the Amazon Dynamo paper or this, rather this Flow Gossip paper, which was like more detail on one of the aspects of Dynamo. And so it's a... It's a got, um, it's a CRDT-based gossip protocol, which makes it easy to um, replicate like an in-memory data structure between different computers that are connected by strings. Um, it gives you something like a like a backbone model um, that you can just um, string together and emit events, and and you can set events on it. Um, that's um, yeah, that was like the right. The perfect. Um, so I wrote that a few years ago, and it was like, it was just really, really simple and just a replication, um, which turned out to be um, quite useful. And loads of people have used it just to basically get like drop-in collaboration, real-time collaboration into the replication, and also for like on-server um, platforms like Substacks. Um, Substack's deployment system uses it and stuff like that. Um, that's the um, uh, what's that called? Um, that's Scuttlebutt. Oh, his, sorry, his thing. Seaport um, or Seaport. Seaport. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, th I don't think it originally used Scuttlebutt, did it? He had some other thing in there, and then he just replaced it with Scuttlebutt to make it work. Was yeah, it? it used Dnode originally. Um, and Scuttlebutt was something that you presented um, some of the basic ideas at NodeConf last year, wasn't it? You and Reynolds did a workshop, and that was covering that sort of stuff, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was basically how you how to. It was like building that idea from scratch. Cool. There's, yeah. Okay. Well, we might end up there and um, and uh, move on to uh, our next sponsor, Tim. Take it away. 
So our next sponsor is Lyft Security. Um, so building an application or service is already hard enough and dealing with security really gets in your way. Security doesn't have to be painful, annoying or frustrating and you sure don't have to summit the security mountain alone. Adam Baldwin and the team at Lyft Security wanted guide developers in building more secure node applications. They already help secure tools uh, you use every day like GitHub and NPM and they founded and run the Node Security Project. Lyft can help you understand where your app and your team are at in terms of security and help identify and prioritize spots for improvement. And they can help offer recommendations and strategies for building more securely in the future. Lyft Security also created the first Node.js security-focused training, which is an in-person hands-on training that leads developers through common vulnerabilities, making sure you understand how, how to secure the framework of your choice. If you're interested in bringing a security-first mindset to your team's development process, contact the Lyft team at liftsecurity.io or at liftsecurity on Twitter. And that brings us to part two, which is about BitTorrent. So, can somebody tell me what is BitTorrent and why is it cool? Uh, I can try. Uh, so, BitTorrent, I think everybody at some point has tried using BitTorrent, uh, at least. Um, it's a distributed protocol basically for, for sharing files uh, that is widely deployed around the world. Um, so the, one of the really, really cool things about Bitron is that it's really, really simple design and uh, has a, some nice built-in uh, security features like verification of files so you you're kind of know that you're getting the files you want when you're distributed. It's enormously decentralized and um, <clears throat> I think it and it uses uh, distributed hash table to, to kind of like coordinate all these files that are being shared. And last time I checked, there was like twenty million nodes in this uh, hash table. So it's actually getting pretty close to thirty million now. <laughs> thirty million. Wow. Uh, so I, I I I don't know I don't know if it's the biggest distributed system in the world, but it's like it's up there. Um, Can one of you explain yeah. what a distributed hash table is or DH? Oh yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Distributed <laughs> hash tables are so cool. Um, they're they're like uh, one of the coolest things I've ever learned about in computer science. So they're basically like uh, I mean, so a hash table, right? It's just a, a, a way to uh, look up. Uh, you know, it's a key value store, uh, and you can so you can look up values uh, by their keys. And it's uh, the, the the thing that makes it unique is it's actually made up of a bunch of different nodes, and uh, so you can store you know a ton of data um, and it's uh, it's resilient against failures so if some of the nodes disappear uh, you know because they go offline um, the data will still be uh, you know will be replicated among uh, enough nodes that uh, you know it will sort of just work um, but what's what's cool about the particular uh, DHT implementation that uh, BitTorrent uses which is called uh, Kademlia um, is that you get some really good guarantees about the um, lookup time so um, on average, I think it's like uh, of like login uh, where ends the number of, of, of nodes to to find a particular key that you're looking for. Um, so like basically what it's used for, right, is like if you think about um, so you know BitTorrent obviously has peer to peer uh, for the data transfer, the actual transfer of the uh, the, the files that you're that you're trying to download. Um, but uh, for a long time, it had uh, you know a, a central uh, tracker server. You had to you had to have basically your your, your torrent file would specify a, a centralized uh, you know uh, like HTTP or UDP server where you have to connect to find out about the other peers in the system. And so, 
you know, you're going to the central place and saying, you know, please tell me um, all the other people who are trying to download the, the same thing as me. And, um, you know, those trackers are vulnerable to getting shut down. They're centralized. They're really, really hard to scale. Um, they actually, you know, had to come up with a UDP uh, protocol to try and kind of lighten the load uh, because the HTTP one, the overhead of HTTP was actually too much for the really large trackers. So, you know, so then this, 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 this uh, research paper uh, out, of, uh, out of Stanford by uh, David Mazieres came out that, was, that described uh, this really kind of elegant uh, uh, improvement on this DHT idea, and then uh, Bit- BitTorrent adopted it. And so now, actually, the trackers are, are totally distributed. So the, 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 you don't even need to, you know, you can even you know, basically find peers by asking other peers. Um, so, you know, so the, the, the first thing you have to do is find an, an initial peer, and so that needs to be bootstrapped uh, somehow. So usually you connect to, uh, there's a couple of like basically servers that you connect and you say, give me a peer, any peer. And once you've done that, you can, you're pretty much, uh, you never need to talk to a central a server ever again. Uh, and you can even, you can even find peers through um, like past torrents that you've downloaded. So your, your client sort of saves all previous peers you've talked to. So you can kind of iterate through the list and try to find some peer when you restart your, your BitTorrent client next time. But um, anyway, it's it's just pretty cool. So basically, we've now we have decentralized uh, data transfer and centralized de- decentralized uh, a peer lookup. Um, but we, the one thing we still don't have is decentralized search. Um, I don't know if uh, if if you guys are interested. We could talk even more about how the how like the DHT is uh, is you know is implemented. It's, su- it's super cool. But I don't know if that's too uh, too much in, in the weeds. No, I mean I'm interested. Are you interested, Rod? Uh, yeah, I am. I, so something else while you're doing that as well for us um, and Matthias is um, I, I'm interested, like you mentioned that, um, that, that BitTorrent adopted this new idea that came in. Is, is BitTorrent really a thing? Like how, how alive is that specification or is it like, you know, fairly fixed? How easily does it move and adapt? Um, because surely that's got to be something it's got to do. As it has to I mean, my impression is there's not even really like a. I mean, there's no one spec. There's um, there's these there's these uh, things that uh, you can publish called a, a BEP uh, or like a Bit BitTorrent extension proposal or something like that, where you can kind of say, oh, you know, our our client is doing this now. Uh, just FYI, everyone. And then I, I don't know what the process is for getting those um, published, but they're published on the BitTorrent.org uh, site. And, yeah, and they also, they also like they're not that spec like there are yeah. usually one, one or two pages that vaguely describes something and you really need to read it a bunch of times to try to figure out and basically what you end up doing is just sending a bunch of traffic out on the network and see how other peers respond to your traffic to kind of figure out uh, how this uh, spec was intended. It's frankly amazing that it even works. I mean, it's yeah. like all these, there's so many different clients. Some of them are very naive. Uh, you know, like I mean, Peerflix when it started out, and, and WebTorrent, they're so, so naive. Uh, like, and, and yet it still worked. Like other peers in the network, you know, were cooperating with uh, with the, the clients, even though they were not really sharing anything back at, in the initial implementations, and they're they're kind of broken in, in some ways. But um, but it, it somehow like works. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I think I think actually that's also one of the like really cool things about peer-to-peer systems in general is that you need to be extremely defensive when designing them because you have no idea what a peer is going to send you. Like you need to almost take care of all these kind of crazy scenarios. Like someone could be sending you 
Like if you have an aspect that a header is 10 bytes, you could be sending it a megabyte, you don't know. So you need to be very defensive because all kind of scenarios are going to appear once you deploy it. That, um, that's sort of tiny little specs idea. I think they do the same sort of thing in the Bitcoin community as well. They've got BIPs for um, you know, improving the Bitcoin protocol. So uh, maybe they learned that from, from the uh, BitTorrent community. Yeah, I just really wish they were better specified because there's so many um, parts that it's like it's it's just a waste of time to have to, uh, to to discover you know what clients are doing by checking the network when you know it wouldn't be that hard to make the spec a little bit more detailed, and it's also not helped by the fact that uh, the um, the two main uh, the, the the big client uTorrent is actually closed source, uh, so. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll kind of, and that's that's now owned by BitTorrent uh, Inc. Um, you know, which is is super cool company. It seems like from from what I know, but they they, they didn't open source it when they bought uTorrent. So uh, you kind of just uh, discover what they're doing by looking at uh, you know reading the mailing list or you know just checking what the client actually does uh, in practice. Cool. So um, I. I know there's a few um, BitTorrent clients in JavaScript. Um, do you guys? Uh, there's one called JS Torrent, which is a paid Chrome app, and uh, BitFord by Astro. Um, are there any others that you guys know of? Well, I noticed one called NodeTorrent that I found, I think, a year ago, one and a half year ago, mm-hmm. but it was still very, uh, was very early back then. I don't know if how that has evolved since then. Mm-hmm. I think there's one by um, Conrad as well, uh, Deoxa. I think he's building, oh, yeah. or he was building something. Um, I'm not sure. I think what he, state ha- of he that has, is. yeah, yeah, he has the BitTorrent name actually. I think. Ah, okay, cool. Um, so the question is, why would you do this? Why would you uh, implement a BitTorrent client in JavaScript? What What are the benefits? Well, one of the Big benefit is that BitTorrent is already like like we just said it's hugely deployed. So you want to be able to tap into this, to this system from uh, from uh, from a node because I mean that's just so many things you can do with it. And uh, uh, I know we like to say that we do mad science, and this is actually absolutely like the edge of mad science because if imagine having access to data being shared by 30 million people, I mean just the crazy things you can do with that. You need to we need to have mm. something for that basically. Cool. So. Can you tell us a little bit about Peerflix, Matthias? Yeah, uh, yeah. So sure. Uh, so so basically, my interest in with BitTorrent and JavaScript started, I think, around one and a half years ago. Where actually, I I pitched the idea of a BitTorrent client to a friend who was trying to get into Node. And looking back, I see that that was a bad idea because it's probably a pretty complex way to, of starting doing Node. But anyways, so I kind of got interested. While helping him, and um, we always like. I think most people who have tried using BitTorrent always end up with this idea that it would be super cool if instead of waiting for something to download, you could just stream it right away. So I thought, hmm, what would be really really cool to build that node? So I started that this project uh, that I ended up calling Peerflix. That's basically just a streaming um, BitTorrent client. So. And it's written in 100% JavaScript. So the idea mm-hmm. is that you should be able to more, more or less give that a, um, a torrent or a mechanical link, and it should connect to the DHT 
connect to peers, start fetching data, and as soon as possible, it should expose an HTTP server that you could mm-hmm. tell VLC to like show this data that you're downloading if it's a video. Um, but doesn't data? I mean, whenever I've been torrenting in the past, um, you know, usually bits of my you know, legal content come down in any random order. Uh, how, yeah. how how do you get around that? What, what, how's that work? Yeah. So so. This is a bit controversial, actually, because so there's no, like we just talked about. There's not really a bit turn spec, but there's like advices in the in the beeps. And one of the advices is that you, you should never download something sequentially. And to stream something, you kind of need to download something sequentially, right? You need the first part first, and then the second part, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually it's not enforced by the network that you cannot do this. So you could just build a client that does this. So I did that, and that turned out to work okay. It introduces a lot of uh, uh, like headaches because by itself, just downloading some uh, uh, pieces sequentially doesn't really make something stream. Because if you're fetching from a peer that has high latency or something, I mean, then you're waiting for a piece, and as long as you're waiting for a piece, you're not really streaming. You might be mm-hmm. downloading sequentially, but you're you know you're not really streaming. So I came up with this algorithm uh, over a couple of months, I think, that basically. Um, when you have a piece that you really need, like the first piece, because the first piece is very important because that's the feedback that someone is waiting to, to get, um, like it has a high priority, you use multiple peers to attack the same piece. So you basically have, you download redundant data basically. You, you download the same data from multiple people uh, in order to get it fast. Um, but you only do this for the very, very important pieces, like the first or the second ones. Um, and then you start mm-hmm. streaming it. Afterwards, you can kind of be a bit more relaxed and be a nicer peer uh, because we are in this like state now where our like our bandwidth in our everyday networks is high enough that we usually download way faster than we can consume some content, right? I mean, if you download a video, chances are that uh, you have depends on band- where you are in the world. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Is, but, uh, yeah, Australia is not so good. <laughs> oh sure, sure. But I mean, like most of the cases, uh, you can you can adjust the quality, I guess. But I mean, most of the cases, you end up being able to download faster than you consume something, right? That's how streaming kind of works. So you, you build up a buffer, and after you build up an initial buffer, you can kind of relax this algorithm a lot and be way no, a way nicer peer. Uh, but still, we have a like at the beginning of a file, we have a very sequential ordering of pieces that we download, which is not a good idea. So we try to to be a good citizen by seeding a lot after we download it. Um, so could could you sort of download you know while you're going while you're bringing things down from the front could you be bringing things down from the back as well so it's sort of you know uh, it's like a race to the middle rather than a race to the end uh, yeah 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 um, I, 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 uh, PFX does tries to do this or the dependencies in PFX that actually implements the torrent stream tries to do this um, um, so that's pretty cool. So actually, the strategy mm-hmm. you, would, you would switch to when you have enough uh, data buffered up is rarest first. That's like the yeah. default strategy. So you want to fetch the, the rarest uh, pieces in the network because those are the, the pieces that if they, if they were to disappear, if the, the few peers who have them were to leave, then you would be unable to complete the file. So that's actually how, you, uh, how, it's, how normal, uh, you know, normal clients prioritize their pieces. Yeah. Uh, doesn't that can, doesn't that create a race towards the rarest pieces by all the clients? Is, is that a problem? Uh, well, so the the uh, I mean that's a good thing because um, you 
then you end up like if everyone is going for the rarest pieces, it should level out, and everyone, you know, all pieces should be roughly uh, should roughly have the same availability after a while. But um, another advantage to getting rare pieces is that uh, since the other peers uh, want the rare pieces, right? You're you're now a more valuable peer to them, so they're they're going to want to connect to you, and they're going to in order to get you know to get you to uh, to like them, you, you, they're going to send you data, they're going to help you out, and so then you know, so basically, yeah, yeah, it's you're highly incented to get rare pieces. Now, does the algorithm take any, like, um, you know, the speed of thing? Like, if I connect to a client uh, on on the other side of the world and they're, you know, very slow, does it sort of take that into account? Uh, or is uh, it yeah. just sort of, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it does because, I mean, again, for the for the very important pieces like the beginning of a stream, you want to have, we want to get that as fast as possible, almost at all costs. I mean, if we use four times the, if we download the first piece four times and then we only need once, it doesn't matter because we really, really want it. So what, what PeerFlix tries to do is it ranks all peers according to speed and uses like the top peers speed-wise to fetch the most important pieces because that, that, uh, that will allow us to like get them really, really fast. And it actually does a thing where if, if, a, if a peer is downloading an important piece and PeerFlix finds out that this guy's speed is dropping for some reason, it will actually uh, take him away from the, from the important pieces and swap in a new peer. Mm. Uh, this strategy really, really gives. I mean, you need to try it. You need to install PFX and try to run the example file because it, it, it ends up working really, really, really nicely. So, do, is this something that you had to implement, or was this something that you found inside, you know, uh, other modules? Or, I mean, how is where does all this logic come from? So, this was something I ended up implementing um, more or less. Uh, I had some friends from some awesome contributors around the world. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the power of open source. And we tried to do a semi-scientific approach to it where we you know, tried to make, make benchmarks and collect stats and stuff like that to find an algorithm that works best in the general purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we were kind of doing it from scratch. I think, I think one of the things I learned by doing it is that, and, and uh, one of the reasons I think that that this kind of thing usually doesn't work is that it kind of involves you building a, P, uh, a BitTorrent client from scratch. And it kind of involves you building it very, very modularized because you need to almost build this in from the ground up, uh, this ability. I mean, usually mm-hmm. a BitTorrent client is just focused around downloading something and saving it as a file. And when the file is, is downloaded, uh, it, it, it tells someone, right? Uh, and you cannot really do this if you want to stream. You need to be, you need to be lower level. And and if you build your your client very modularly, you you can kind of play around with these low level components in, in a way that that will allow you to build this. Cool. Um, so these low level pieces, um, yeah. What are the pieces that go into making up Peerflix? So, if I wanted to build, uh, you know, a Peerflix competitor, what would I use? So, BitTorrent is kind of easy to put into boxes. I mean, there's a bit, there's the BitTorrent protocol that's basically just uh, a streaming pro- protocol that runs over um, TCP. So, you just need to implement a parser for that, and I ended up doing that a streaming parser. Uh, you need a swarm, uh, something that manages uh, your connections, like all the, you, you connect to peers, something that manages, like if a peer uh, uh, cl- uh, dies, you need to try to reconnect to, to him a couple of times. You need to be able to set a max limit on how many peers you want to be connected to, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need a 
what's it called, the DHT implementation. Uh, I know Ferris has uh, put a lot of work into building a really, really good one that PFLEX also uses now. Um, um, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, but there, are, there, is, there is a couple of um, small Python clients out on NPM. I saw that uses all these small dependencies from, um, from PFLEX now, which is kind of cool. I mean, that kind of yeah. shows, shows that you can build a regular torrent client also using these components. We don't have to reinvent everything every time we do something. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, now, for us, you've been working on WebTorrent. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Uh, yeah, so, uh, so I got the idea for WebTorrent after seeing PeerFlex, actually. Uh, I thought it was really cool that, uh, you know, that Matthias was able to get streaming to actually work I'd seen other clients try it in the past. Um, you know, like I think uTorrent or a few others have a button in their UI where you can say, "Oh, you know, I want to try and stream something," and then you know, you you end up like being really disappointed. It, it doesn't really work in my experience. Um, but then I saw, you know, wow, this is actually uh, possible if you if you uh, implement it right. And then um, so my my like next thought was like, how do we? Uh, make this like something that uh, more people can use, uh, and so like the, the I think the way to do that is to put it in the browser. So you can have a video site that's as easy to use as YouTube. Uh, you know where you go and 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 uh, you know you can basically given a, a magnet uh, link or a, a torrent file, you can basically just start downloading it from other people. Um, that was the vision. It was like you know let's make this easier because currently the the state of the art of uh, usability. You know, in uh, in BitTorrent is pretty bad. It's like you have to download a, you know, a, a this program called a BitTorrent client, and then you have to like it it, it opens up and it's like a, a blank screen, and you have to go and like find some you know link from another website that's usually full of like ads and uh, a lot of like sketchy uh, you know links and pop ups and things, and then you like p- paste it into the client. And you have to wait like a couple of hours. And then it like saves it into a you know random folder. It's just like too, it's it's a lot of work. And so I was like you know thinking well if we could approach the like usability of YouTube uh, with BitTorrent, then a lot more people would use it, and it would be you know the network would become even bigger and more robust, and uh, it would just be pretty cool. Uh, but you know doing that in the browser is crazy because um, you can't you can't really do TCP or UDP in the browser. It's not allowed. It's uh, it would be a security risk because. You know, you don't want a website that's uh, loading in a computer behind a firewall to be able to start opening TCP sockets to random services behind the firewall, right? Um, so, fortunately, there's this thing called WebRTC, uh, which is uh, like a way to do peer-to-peer in the browser. And okay. you can do basically, uh, uh, there's, there's three components to it. Uh, there's like video, chat, audio, uh, like, like voice uh, chat, and then there's this uh, third part, which is a arbitrary data channel that you can open between uh, two browsers. Okay, um, yeah. So WebRTC, and, and that's like completely peer-to-peer. You don't need a server at all. Well, it's not qu- so. Yeah, about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so obviously, you're going to need a server to serve you the initial web page that you visit, because that's just how the web works, right? That you have to type in URL, and so there's going to be a server somewhere, um, uh, unless you you like save the HTML file to your computer or something like that. Um, but in most cases, yeah, there's going to be a website involved. But then to actually um, get introduced to other peers, the, the mechanism that WebRTC um, created for that is 
it's a bit um, more complicated than just like knowing someone's IP address and port and just sending them a, a packet, uh, you know, sending them some UDP packets or whatever. And that's for, partly for security reasons and also partly to deal with uh, the fact that uh, everyone is behind uh, like NATs and uh, the, and firewalls and things like that. So you can't, it's not really easy to just know um, someone's IP and port and, and, and talk to them. So there's all this mumbo jumbo that they have to do for like getting around that. But in, in, in basically the way to think about it is this. This is what's required to connect to a peer. You have to send a blob of data to the other peer, uh, which specifies like uh, uh, some information about your po- the possible interfaces on which they could connect to you. So th- there'll be a, a list of basically a list of IP addresses uh, and, and port numbers, and then you need to get that to them somehow, right? So they know like who you are, and they know to try to connect to you, um, and you have to get that to them somehow. So, like the way that that, that the the WebRTC spec like deals with that is, it just says like you figure out a way to do that. It's up to your application. We're not going to tell you how you do that. So, most people when they are building their first WebRTC app, they just have like a server with a WebSocket with you know WebSocket server that everyone connects to, and then um, they can tell the WebSocket server to send this blob, uh, which is called the signaling data. Uh, to, to send it to a given, you know, other person. And the way they know that that other person exists is the, defined by the application. So if you have, like, a chat application, mm-hmm. I would know, okay, like, you know, I want to talk to Tim. Send this blob to, to the username Tim, and then you get it, and then you produce a blob in response and send that to me, and now we both, like, know all the details about our connection that we can now be fully peer-to-peer. So it's a little right. bit of ceremony before you can get to be fully peer-to-peer. So people, so basically the way this works is you use... HTTP to establish, you're establishing you're upgrading to a WebSocket connection, and then you're sort of going you know uh, using some arbitrary protocol to figure out how you can then establish uh, another WebRTC connection. That's sort of yeah. A, you don't have to use you don't, you don't, to. you don't actually have yeah. to use WebSockets. That's the actually the interesting part of 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 uh, you know of WebRTC is since it's not specified, actually you can you can read somebody the the blob of of uh, signaling data over the phone if you want, or like you can IM it to them, and then they can paste it into the browser, and then you know they could IM you their response back. You can do it like through through a side channel or something like that. Um, there's actually there's so, actually a demo where someone did that. So like with WebRTC, uh, you're I mean whenever I see demos for this, it's always video and audio. Uh, but there's like a, a data channel, and we don't really see many people using that. Uh, why is that? I don't know. It's it's strange to me because, uh, well, I mean, I mean, the the thing is, the WebRTC was kind of cr- created, uh, or I guess that the was there was hev- heavy involvement from the telecoms uh, people. So they're all about video and you know vi- video chat and, and and voice. That's like their business model. So even a lot of if you look at the spec, a lot of the the uh, kind of implementation uh, of it is focused on, on on video and voice, and on it uses a lot of like telecom standards and things like that are kind of old and crufty. Um, and a lot of the reason for that was because they wanted to allow browsers to interoperate directly with all of this expensive uh, telecoms hardware that's already been deployed and is like owned, you know, purchased by all these different corporations. And they don't want to like, you know, have to do more work to interface with that. So. That's kind of where it came from. And then it was kind of like an afterthought, it seems like, where they were like, oh, and oh, by the way, since we have a peer-to-peer connection, why don't we also let people just send anything they want instead of like just this video and audio data that the browser kind of um, 
generates. So how, it was definitely. How did that get into the spec though? Like the, all that craft. You're saying you're suggesting that um, they wanted to offload the work of interfacing with old hardware and put the complication into the browser. How did that get accepted such that the browsers then have to implement lots of craft? I mean, so I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm like, like not, a, not a super uh, expert on on all this telecommy stuff. So, um, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe part of it is 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 actually good in the sense that uh, these guys have figured out how to deal with uh, like getting around firewalls and getting around, uh, you know, and they and they do have this standard like uh, way, standard way to describe a, a session, a peer to peer session. Um, and there's already protocol for you know there's already a, a spec for kind of how to format that and you know rather than like inventing something new they chose to uh, to use an existing thing so they could finish WebRTC faster so it it may not be all bad um, but I don't know I I sometimes wonder you know maybe maybe it, it would uh, the API at least the API that we use would be a little bit nicer if um, more uh, web developers were involved <laughs> um, and there's also the the case of you know, WebRTC, uh, you know, browser support for WebRTC is a little lacking in a particular department, um, as namely Safari, just has no support for for WebRTC, uh, and, and that that's not you know excellent. Um, do you, anybody have a clue as to why they uh, you know Apple ha- doesn't want to support WebRTC? My thought was like maybe you know because maybe WebRTC would you know um, is you know, competing with FaceTime or something, but I mean, I, I don't know any details about it. You know, I mean, anybody got a clue? I don't know. I mean, maybe there's there's some speculation, but uh, I saw actually saw on um, the WebKit mailing list somebody was talking about porting um, the the, uh, the WebRTC code from Blink into WebKit. So I don't know if that's just for the the get user media API, which is how you access the webcam, or if they're actually going to also be porting all the uh, peer-to-peer stuff. But it's it's certainly like a little bit promising that uh, that there's like that that core WebKit developers are talking about that. Nice, cool. Is, is, so, it, is, is it the case yeah. that is it the case that um, they're very interested in the um, efficiency of their mobile browser, and you know they they don't want uh, for start battery to be drained too much, and they don't want um, connections to be overused too much because then people pay, you know, through the nose for um, data on their phone. Is it is it I, potentially to do with that? I don't buy that argument at all. So I, that's that's actually that that argument from Apple is why mobile Safari is is uh, is kind of crippled in a lot of ways, and that doesn't make any sense to me because apps can do all this stuff. Um, I mean, so accessing the webcam and uh, and doing uh, WebRTC is possible on Chrome on Android, and it works just fine. Uh, and you know, I think you know if you if you install a like a, a video streaming application from the App Store, it's going to use your data just the same as uh, as a web page could. I I, I think that uh, there's really no no good reason for it. Cool. So um, yeah, WebTorrent. Uh, I mean, to me, uh, there was a big project uh, recently, like that Get Popcorn or whatever it is. Popcorn time. Um, I mean, is is this similar to that? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, um, so the I was reading about popcorn time. So I think popcorn time is um, is different in that it's a application that you have to run on your computer, so you stuff to install it. Popcorn time right. is basically like a a, a, a streaming uh, torrent client with a hard coded list of of uh, like 
pirated content built into it. That's what it, that's what that is. So um, it was basically it's basically a, a UI for for Pflix. Use Pflix under the hood. Does it really? Does yeah. it actually use Pflix? Yeah, yeah. It uses your thing. Yeah. That's really <laughs> cool. Awesome. And okay, it's, uh, so it's basically just spawn, it's, it's spawning it's spawning a Pfix process and adding a UI on top of it and bundling a lot of the uh, uh, oh. storage feeds into it, I guess. So th- I think that really says a lot for um, I don't know the like the fact that you know the pro- your project's actually you know it's used used in production if if that's what oh you're yeah yeah it's it's it's, yeah. it's 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 rapidly deployed I guess <laughs> wow okay yeah. so um, I think I think it also uses a bunch of Ferris's dependencies as well I guess I mean it's, cool. it's probably I, uh, I, mean, I kind of think this this association with Pureflex is a little. Uh, Dubious. I kind of I almost wish they didn't use our modules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I completely agree. <laughs> so, what are, what other use cases are there for Pflix? Well, well. So basically, Pflix as itself is is kind of cool. But what I really wanted to do was uh, I wanted a, a more low level binding because uh, you know Pflix exposes an HTTP server, which is kind of like high level for a node thing, I guess. So right. what I ended up doing was I, I made an, a module that's kind of like the engine of PFX that's called um, Torrent Stream, which is just a super simple uh, node module that exposes a torrent or a magnet link as a node stream. And when you read stuff from this stream, it will fetch the things in real time. Mm-hmm. And, and you just deal with that as you do with regular node streams. So that actually allows you to build a lot of really, really fun stuff, uh, like going into the math science uh, department, I guess. So one thing I did was I combined that with, uh, with Fuse. I don't know if you guys know Fuse, but it's a... Oh, yeah, this, this yeah. is super cool. It's a, it's a, it's a user-space user file system. So basically allows you to build like a drive that's actually a program on your computer, right? So I combined TorrentStream and, uh, and Fuse into something I call Torrent Mount that allows you to uh, mount a torrent as a drive on your computer. And uh, instantly in real time, and uh, that's actually really, really a really, really fun use case. It basically allows you to, you know, you can go out, you can you can fetch a turn that consists of a hundred gigs of data, and in two or five, two to three seconds, you you have it mounted on your disk, and you can double click the files in your finder and uh, open them in your favorite editor, stuff like that. I mean, it's so it's, it's like it's, I mean, isn't uh, like BitTorrent Sync a bit like that? Is that no, what BitTorrent that does? Sync is. No, BitTorrent Sync is more for it's like BitTorrent Sync is more Dropbox-ish. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 you have some data and you want to share it to someone else. Oh, it actually uh, and it also it actually creates a whole folder. This thing creates a yeah. virtual drive. It's a virtual mm. drive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so a, a fun demo that I, I usually do is that you can actually you can you can mount the uh, Ubuntu Live Disk using Torrent Mount, and you can install uh, you can install that image while it's actually downloading. Uh, using something like VirtualBox, which is like super cool if you think about it. It's it's uh, it allows you to install Ubuntu in, in like no time. Okay. Also, BitTorrent Sync is an open source, so we don't oh, even yeah. know yeah, yeah. what it's using under the hood. If it's even using the BitTorrent protocol or something else, that's true. I think they've got okay. a DHT, and that's about it, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. Mm. <laughs> Well, but uh, right. but Matthias, yeah. I tried to mount actually. So when you when you released uh, torrent mount, I tried to mount all of Wikipedia. Yeah. Because uh, I thought it would be cool to you know to mount a dump and then to be able to like browse uh, and load like any 
of the text or HTML files, uh, any, if, you know, for any article. And it, yeah. uh, I think there's some, it was an insanely huge torrent. It was like 60 wow. gigs or something like that. So uh, <laughs> there was something that crashed. Oh, we should fix it so that uh, we can mount Wikipedia. I think that would be yeah. Cool. Uh, one of the things I, I I found out is that Fuse is kind of like a pain in the ass, but <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay, cool. So um, you know what's what's next for WebTorrent? So yeah, so WebTorrent. So basically, the the core idea right is to make is to make BitTorrent work in the browser and. Using WebRTC, we want to basically at least have the, the – there's a couple aspects. We want to have the web browsers that are out there be able to talk to each other. So if multiple people are downloading the same content, they will connect to each other over WebRTC and share with each other. That's like, that's like step one kind of thing. Um, in order to do that, we need to – we want to make it as decentralized as possible, right? So the, the thing is – remember I mentioned that you can send the signaling data – over any uh, kind of channel you want, you can use a WebSocket or you can you can like IM it to somebody. Well, the thing is that it, we we want to make it decentralized. So once you're connected to one peer, um, we want to be able to basically ask that peer to to find uh, you know to give you other peers. So this is a DHT basically. So we need to build a, a WebRTC DHT. So you basically use another peer as a, as a uh, intermediary. They act as the signaling server. So you know I want to talk to peer C. Uh, I'm peer A. Uh, peer B, we're both connected to peer B. I can ask peer B to be my be the middleman and deliver this this blob of data so that we can talk to each other. Um, okay. So, so that's 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 kind of the core kind of insight is that peers can act as uh, as a signaling server. Um, so so then that's not enough though. So what I mean that would be that would be pretty useful for for some things, um, but it wouldn't quite let you kind of download anything from from BitTorrent. So th- this this part by itself would just be useful for if you're like the Internet Archive and you, you know, you're, you're archiving all this content and there's um, a big bandwidth cost, you know, it, it, it's actually, I think that their bandwidth costs are their limiting factor into kind of how much of the, the net that they can actually archive. So, you know, if there's a piece, a piece of content that's popular that's going viral on Twitter, it was linked to by, you know, some big news site or something and it's hosted on the Internet Archive, then uh, after, you know, after there are like three, four, five people on that page, you should be able to use WebTorrent to uh, have them all download, you know, da- all the additional visitors download from those people who are already on the page. That's kind of one, one use case with just a web-only web BitTorrent network, right? I mean, so it, it sort of makes sense for, for the whole Internet. Like, I mean, why, why doesn't the Internet just work like that? I mean, well, you know, we've got so many people downloading the same files over and over from the same person. When the person right next to you, I mean, especially at conferences, it's just... The worst. Yeah, we need to make uh, NPMD or something um, use WebRTC. I think it'd be kind of cool. But uh, but anyway, so so yeah, like that's that's. I agree. It would be great if the internet worked this way. Um, and I'm hoping like this this library will be something you can just drop in that does that. Um, you you'll be able to to like say WebTorrent, and then uh, uh, you know it will do this for all the content on your page. Or you should be able to say, you know, WebTorrent, uh, pass it a, a magnet uh, U- URI or, a, a, you know, the hash of the content that you want it to fetch. And it will just give you a callback with the data or give you a stream so you can, you can stream it. But, but the, the like kind of further goal is to actually connect it to the existing BitTorrent network. So the only way to do that 
is to have some help from the BitTorrent clients that are out there. So they need to implement WebRTC is, is kind of what it comes down to. So obviously no one's going to do this uh, overnight. So my plan is to, is to take sort of starting from the, uh, the great work that Matthias did with uh, PeerFlix to, to kind of build a nice uh, native uh, BitTorrent client that uh, we would all want to use as our primary client that we would install on our computer that supports video streaming and, you know, is, is just kind of a nice solid. I'm thinking something like transmission, kind of just nice and solid, but that implements WebRTC. So when you're, when you're using this client, you're actually talking to both networks. So when you're downloading, you're downloading from both the normal BitTorrent network and the WebRTC nodes that are out there. And you're also seeding to both networks. Right. So this will kind of, you know, this, isn't, this is kind of like a bridge between the two worlds. Um, so if there's enough users using this, then a lot of content that's on the normal BitTorrent network will become accessible to the web users. But um, we don't want to go down the route where, where web users can actually ask uh, normal, you know, these, these hybrid clients to go and download content for them. That's, that's a bad idea. That would be, you know, that would give people running this client a lot of like liability for whatever the web users want to download. That's not what this is. This is just, you know, this is a, this is a, just an extra good client that can seed to both, you know, if it's seeding anyway, it's going to seed to both these types of, of nodes and that's, and that's it. So, so then I'm hoping, you know, that eventually that this, I, this, this uh, idea will get, uh, will take off when people see how cool it is and that other clients will want to add support for it. And we can publish a, one of those BEPs, one of those, you know, extension proposals, and, and it, it will just become another kind of possible extension to BitTorrent that people will implement. Cool. So have you, is that, is that, what's the status of that project, the super client thing? Have you started that? The super client is actually where I started, yeah. So that's, um, that's it was way more work than I thought. So I started with, uh, you know, with, uh, uh, like I said, with PureFlix, and I, the thing is, so, so the thing is, is PeerFlix started off as kind of uh, kind of a leech. <laughs> I think Matthias would agree. It was not a very nice peer. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, it, <laughs> so it, it, the thing is, that's fine if you have a network full of other nodes which are being nice. Uh, and uh, you know, there are a lot of nodes out there. It's actually surprising they don't even care if you if you send them any you know pieces at all, or if you if you. You know, are helpful at all? They'll still give you data. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. So you know, the, people always talk about the tit for tat that BitTorrent does, but in practice, people the, there are a lot of clients that are just super generous. So you can free write off of that for for uh, for a while if you're um, you know if you don't have that many free writers in the network. Now, obviously, and we're trying to we're trying to make PureFlix not do that anymore. Where all the the things it's 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 been, it's been getting better uh, at being a better peer, but um, but like. If you're building a network of all of one type of clients, it better be able to sustain itself. That's actually the, the measure of if, if, you, if you built a nice a client or not, is if a network full of, of only your, your type of, of node, were, you know, your type of client, would, 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 the, would the network actually sustain itself? Would it work? Um, and so as, it's, as it was, it wouldn't work for, um, for the web RTC part. So I was like, okay, we need to fix this. Um, so I was like working on on making the uh, the the DHT module really good. Uh, so that's that's something that I think uh, I don't know if I pulled the initial code for it out of PeerFlix or where where it came from, but that's a separate module now called BitTorrent DHT. And so I basically got it stuck in this uh, rabbit hole, kind of went down this rabbit hole of of, of trying to make the the Node.js part of uh, of the project really good. So. PeerFlix has benefited from that, and web and there's a WebTorrent uh, client you can use, which is pretty similar to PeerFlix that uh, 
that uh, just makes a few different design decisions. But so that that part of it is going pretty well. Um, so you can use you know you can use all this stuff. But uh, the the part that uh, I'm working on now is getting the web uh, web part to work. So uh, fortunately, a lot of the work that's been done can be reused with Browserify um, on the web. Um, so all of the like parts of the of the uh, all the all the modules that implement the protocol and the extensions to the protocol, basically the part where the peers talk to each other, that's all implemented as a stream. So you can use any transport that you want. Um, it, as long as you just hook the streams up, it'll work, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. So but there's a few other modules that don't work on the web yet, and I've been working on porting those over so that they work in the browser. Uh, most recently I was working on uh, Create Torrent, which is a way to make torrent files. Uh, and so I made that work with the file API so you can like drag and drop files on your browser and you'll get a torrent and you'll be able to like seed that right away and stuff like that. So it's, it's coming along, but I haven't actually published the uh, first uh, WebRTC uh, client yet, but that I'm going to do that soon. Um, so the, basically if I had to summarize the status, I would say there's a really solid uh, like Node.js uh, set of, 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 you know, highly modular BitTorrent client you can use. And the web uh, RTC part of it is, is, uh, is, is kind of where the focus is now. And uh, hopefully there'll be, I'll have something to, like release soon. Awesome. So, um, how can people help you out? Where can they get involved? So, I'm looking for more help. <laughs> there's uh, there's to- so many possible ways to get involved. Um, so, uh, there's there are all these um, kind of cool extensions to the to the BitTorrent protocol where you can uh, kind of discover new peers from uh, like asking other peers directly, like. Uh, um, uh, to tell to tell you about the peers that they're connected to, that's different than the DHT. And there's there's all these other extensions. There's like web seeding. There's um, there's basically all those BEPs need to be implemented. There's only a couple of them have been implemented so far. So um, that would be a, a really great way to help. Is if you want to learn more about BitTorrent, you can help implement one of the extensions that our client is lacking, so that uh, you know PeerFlix and and WebTorrent can both benefit from having a more robust client that implements more of the uh, different uh, extensions that make you know make modern clients really good. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, like there are, um, you know, bugs and issues and stuff on, on, uh, on GitHub that you can, uh, that you can help with. So you can visit webtorrent.io, which redirects to the GitHub for a webtorrent and you can see what's, uh, what's, you know, what needs to be worked on. And there's also an IRC channel where a lot of, uh, people who are working on uh, peer-to-peer stuff in Node have been hanging out, which is just a webtorrent on uh, Freenode. Cool. Well, we might move on, um, to... Um, our next sponsor, which is And Yet, who are also big players in the WebRTC area. They've, they've been early adopters. Um, they've got some cool projects out on the web that you can look up. I think Simple Art, WebRTC is theirs. Um, Talkie.io is another one of theirs, isn't it? Um, yeah, Talkie yeah. is super cool. They just actually released an iPhone app for it. So you can, wow. you can now, even though Safari doesn't have WebRTC, they actually compiled uh, WebRTC into the native app. So you can... Uh, you can it's same same interface. You can talk to uh, browsers now from the phone. That's cool. Um, so and yet now and yet has created a first of its kind JavaScript training adventure called JS for Teams, subtitled "It's Alive," which teaches dev teams how to build highly advanced and highly maintainable apps together. It's based on core concepts and conventions introduced in human JavaScript by Henrik Dorteg, uh, which Jan Lennett called, Jan Lennett called the best book you can buy right now to get a grip on front-end JavaScript. Henrik will be leading this new training event. 
Um, so for everyone familiar with real-time conf, uh, it was kind of a crazy experience with a whole story that was written by Mike Spiegel and a, original music by Open Source, um, otherwise known as Ben. Um, so It's Alive uh, is the experience that the Anyet team has spent nine months creating to follow up, follow that up. Each class has 30 seats that you can, uh, and you can get a discount on one uh, and just use the, no the code NOTEUP when you go to the checkout. Uh, so for more information about JS for Teams and upcoming classes, or Human JavaScript, the book, go to andyet, that's A-N-D-Y-E-T dot com, and be sure to follow them on Twitter, at andyet. Um, so moving on to um, an, a different discussion, but looping back to uh, what we were talking about originally with, uh, with Dominic, um, I wanted to talk about some of the interesting algorithms that people are, are implementing and tackling, and I know there's some, been some, a lot, of, lot more work and a lot more advancement um, in people's understanding and some of the modules that are going on. Um, but Dominic, do you want to just tell us a bit about Merkle trees? Because they're kind of fascinating and they have an interesting array of applications. You, what, what is a Merkle tree? Well, uh, classic Merkle tree is just a way of, say you have a large file, um, like gigabytes or something like this. You know, anything that you can't download, download all at once. So in BitTorrent, you have the situation. So you break up that file into like a thousand pieces and each of those has a hash. And then you just need to, to verify that any piece you get is correct. You just download um, that piece and you really know the hash of it. Now, that works well, but um, you have to pick a number of pieces um, that's reasonable. So with a, with a Merkle tree, this is um, seamlessly done for you, where it just builds a tree instead of a straightforward list. And by having some of the midpoints in the tree, you can verify any piece that you get um, as part of the big file, um, but without having any more than a few extra hashes. So it's, it's hashes upon hashes to build a tree structure. Is that, is that right? It's a tree of hashes, yes. Yeah. Now, so this thinking has evolved into this concept of Merkle DAGs. Do you want to explain what a DAG is and how that can apply to Merkle, Merkle trees? Right. So um, a DAG is a is a directed acyclic graph. So this is just a, a, a dove structure that's like a tree, but it's more flexible because, you know, um, two different nodes can point to a third node. Um, so it's just it got the name Merkle tree. This is like not, um, this is just the term Yuan came up with. And he just like was like, well, a Merkle tree is particular, is like hashes in a tree, this hash in a DAG, call it a Merkle DAG, but um, from what I have encountered, Merkle um, never um, talked about this. So I'm personally not sure if it's the right kind of, um, the right name. But um, is, the, also, the concept, though, is, is, is that, um, uh, so a Merkle tree um, indicates a very rigid structure, whereas a DAG is something that's a bit more dynamic and, uh, and loose. Is that, is that what that's getting at? Uh, no, well, no, um, no, the structure is, it's just that instead of having a, like an even tree where like each node has two nodes under it, unless you can have any kind of structure with some number of endpoints, some number of routes that collectively point back to, you know, some other nodes and those point to some other nodes and so on. So you, you've pointed to a whole data set and if you, you just need to know the hashes of the top nodes and then you'll be able to, um, Verify all of the nodes, all of the all of the blobs 
that they are valid. Okay. Um, right. So, so the, the whole idea of Merkles is it comes down to, to hashing, um, and this is just a mm -hmm. different way of applying them in uh, in different forms. Um, so, yep. so it's, oh, so so uh, get get as a uh, a Merkle DAG, um, and because it's not a strict tree structure, it's more of a a branching tree sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about the blockchain? Um, I know, like the the whole Bitcoin blockchain. When when people, sit, it seems to me from coming from the outside that block the blockchain is a little bit like religion. If you suddenly get the blockchain, then everything is about the blockchain, and suddenly the whole world can be implemented on top of the blockchain. Um, does anyone want to tackle um, what that's about? Why the blockchain is so important and um, what, how can this concept be used uh, in, in well, these kinds of areas? I, I agree. A, big, a large part of that is just that, you know, um, if the only, like, decentralized system you understand is Bitcoin, then everything looks like a cryptocurrency. Um, you know, like the hammer and nail. The hammer and everything's a nail thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're going to step back and, like, not talk about um, cryptocurrencies or file sharing or whatever... Then, um, then Bitcoin and the blockchain is really just a decentralized uh, linked list. It's just um, a list of things, a list of data that's in a in a particular order that is, and that ordering is sort of decided by a, in a completely decentralized way. So, if you think of like a, a hash, like a spectrum, and at one end of the scale, you have um, a DHT, which is a key value store. Well, this is the the opposite of that. So, a key value store, you can insert anything into any point. This is the opposite of that, where you can only append a append a record to the end. Um, so, sometimes you need the the DHT kind of structure. Sometimes you need um, a um, an ordered list, uh, ordered sequence kind of structure, and so. Um, for you know the the unique property, there's a couple of unique properties that the blockchain has. Like um, you know what all of the or that you know the order. Main thing is that you know the order of every single event that happened, and you can avoid having the same event being registered twice. So this is ideal for implementing something like a currency, where you have this uh, invariant that um, I shouldn't be able to spend my money twice. I should only be able to you know, um, withdraw the amount of money that I have. So um, deposits and withdrawals must sum to um, greater than zero for any particular account. Otherwise, something's gone wrong. Um, and a blockchain allows you to do that. Um, but there are other data structures that are possible as well. Because um, uh, one, one of the big things here is um, in peer-to-peer -peer systems, we have um, the problem of... Um, rogue clients and um, clients undermining the network. Um, like it's this is a, a really strong theme in peer-to-peer -peer networks. You can't assume that every player is a positive player, so they have to have inbuilt in them these safety structures. And the blockchain is uh, is all about that. Um, but there's mm. other there's other structures that are um, that you can make that you know have these security structures involved in, in them, uh, isn't there? Well, there's other hypothetical structures. Um, we're actually we're like now discussing at the 
um, the forefront of computer science, um, really, because there's there's like BitTorrent, which has like a a bit where each each it has a tit for tat algorithm where each peer tries to trade with peers that are being helpful to it, and uh, there's other ones that use a proof of work approach to show to prove to the other nodes that they put a certain amount of work into coming up with that hash and therefore um, are committed to helping the network. Um, whereas, and that sort of means that it's impossible to create a fake but valid-looking um, message because, like, it's, it makes it makes um, abusing the network uneconomical because you still have to spend all this. See, you have to spend all these CPU resources. Um, there are other people who are postulating some kind of uh, reputation network thing, but um, this is, to be honest, still an open open. I think I think reputation network will work, but this is still an open question. And so that brings us to uh, civil attacks, which are often talked about. Um, yeah. So, what do you want to explain what a civil attack is? So, a civil attack is just generating lots of fake nodes. So it comes from a character in a in some book about um, that was a I think a nonfiction book. It was a woman who had multiple personalities. So um, civil attacks are generating multiple personalities and pretending to be you know imagine like um, create many f- um, fake accounts on eBay and then giving yourself really good feedback and then um, so people want to trade with you now and then you can just rip them off. You can just like you receive the money and be like, oh, I put it in the mail. Oh, it never arrived. Mm, mm, don't know. Um, that's a simple attack. And things like eBay get around that by just having humans that check all the new accounts and making sure that and trying to be as confident as they can that it's not a duplicate of a previous account. But that introduces the central authority again. So the, yeah. whole, the whole point of these networks and protocols is about removing central authority. But I, I think is the point that um, like there are there are ways to deal with these things, but nothing is you know guaranteed to be fully um, you know impermeable to these these different types of attacks. And, uh, and we well, have, we haven't seen a lot of attacks yet that may be novel. You know that may yeah, you occur. can't make you can't make a system. Well, security isn't making a system in, impossible to attack. It's just making a system uneconomical to attack. Like. Um, it just means that the the you know like I chain up my bike and you can steal my bicycle seat, um, but in most places people don't can't be bothered stealing a bicycle seat. They want the whole bike or nothing, so they'll find the bike with the easiest lock. So if you have as long as you have an above average lock, then they're not going to steal your bike. Um, so there's other other systems like I mean. BitTorrent, the BitTorrent network doesn't have all of the you know the garbage of having to build custom hardware in order to run the BitTorrent network. Um, no. I mean, is is the BitTorrent network like vulnerable to attack? And the only reason it hasn't been attacked in the same way that maybe a, a Bitcoin network would is because it's not directly dealing with money. I mean, is yeah. I mean, what, what's the difference there between uh, you know BitTorrent and uh, you know the blockchain? So, yeah, well, I mean, and could you use BitTorrent? You know, instead for the similar uh, so, so um, the thing is bitcoins are worth so much money that attacking the bitcoin network is very profit can be very profitable so lots of people are there are lots of people who are trying to do this and also then lots of people 
trying to figure out how best to defend against this. Now, um, on the other hand, there are there are people that do attack the um, Bitcoin, oh sorry, BitTorrent network. So one thing that um, some people do is usually um, content um, copyright owners they post dummy um, torrents that are, in, are corrupt files, and then if they have enough of these, then it will look like other nodes won't be able to tell if they're a legitimate file or not. And if you're not, if you don't have streaming downloads, then you can't tell if you're getting the corrupt file or not. It's a pretty um, lame attack, though, isn't it? Really, it's pretty lame. Yeah, yeah. but but there are other, is, there are actually other attacks too. You can even uh, you can actually uh, tell the tell the DHT that uh, you know if you want to, you could tell them like for this particular hash, uh, you know, please add me to the list as a peer. But then you do that, you give it a bunch of fake IP addresses and then overflow the maximum number of peers that they're willing to, uh, to, you know, hold in the list. So then when other people ask for peers, they'll just get back a list of like garbage IP addresses. Right. Theoretically. Mm. Okay. DHTs aren't very secure. And the BitTorrent network has the, um, the interesting... Um, property. I mean, it's like the, the, the Bitcoin network where uh, in Bitcoin you've got financial incentive to attack it. BitTorrent has, there's an incentive by media companies in particular to undermine it as a way of mm-hmm. uh, distributing their content. So it's, it's always under attack, I think, from, um, from the, those large interests. Um, so I, 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 what I imagine is if you're implementing one of these networks or you're operating with them, you have to be constantly adapting to um, new techniques to, um, you know, you, you can't make these things static. Um, although, I mean, the, the big Bitcoin network is pretty static, I guess. The protocol just seems to be pretty static. But uh, Well, they've got the, the, the BIPs, that's what I was mentioning before. It's, it's pretty much the same thing as the BEPs that, that are in um, the BitTorrent network. Uh, it's like a Bit, Bitcoin improvement protocol or something like that. So if, it, um, if, if a flaw was found, then they could use that? Yeah, and, and they use it to implement, you know, like completely new features. And it's the same thing happens. So, uh, you know, if a client wants, uh, decides to implement a particular feature, they get like, uh, they can speak to other clients that have also implemented that feature. So it becomes sort of beneficial to the, you know, to each client um, in order you know, to implement each of those features. Mm-hmm. They also have um, the, the difficulty, the amount of proof of work that's required is um, adjusted every thousand blocks or whatever. There's like a target length. Of, it's a target of like 10 minutes per block. Um, so they adjust the difficulty. So as more um, hashing power is added to the network, um, it just becomes more expensive to hash the thing. So the, the number of winners in the in the validation lottery is um, is about the, stays about the same. Right. So that's another example of like dynamically adjusting the protocol. To change topic slightly, um, so an interesting idea that I first heard uh, that, that one of the peer-to-peer sidebars at NerdConf was um, Juan Bennett was talking about um, IPFS or uh, what he called the permanent web. Um, do you want to try and describe what that's about, Dominic? So this is a um, one's project to build on some of these ideas like BitTorrent and um, and like the idea, ideas in Bitcoin, ideas in Git, um, but sorry, BitTorrent. And I think he's got he's got a, a cryptocurrency in there as well called um, Filecoin. Um, where so it's about so instead of so 
uh, BitTorrent replicates large static files. Um, DHTs replicate key value store. Um, yep, use all of the peer to peer tech. Uh, blockchains replicate a linked list. Now, one of the things that no one has really figured out how to do yet is like a dynamic um, database structure. Like, no one's built a peer to peer wiki yet that works on a um, large scale. So, there's no peer to peer Wikipedia. Um, and sort of, this is kind of like a peer to peer web. So, you can have a structure of files that have, you know, linked to other files and stuff like this, but you can dynamically add to those files. So you can have a, a, you could create like a blog or maybe even a wiki on top of um, IPFS. So the way that uh, I think about IPFS is that it's kind of like a BitTorrent swarm uh, that's exchanging uh, like blocks uh, or, or blobs in, in Git. Would you yes. agree? Yeah, yeah. There's also another um, project called GitTorrent that I stumbled upon that was I looked. Some people worked on it for a bit and then it was sort of abandoned. But it's but if you just think of it as Git torrent, um, that's fairly that you've begun to scratch the surface. Yeah, well, well, Git torrent is hosted on Google Code, so I, I think that says enough about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, so, um, well, let's move on then to um, like future stuff. Like we'll round up with a, a, a talking about future of this stuff. I, I the most interesting area that I see here is WebRTC because it's slowly being implemented and made more compatible across browsers. Um, and we're also starting to see um, WebRTC implementations in Node for the server. Um, for us, do you want to talk a bit about the future of WebRTC and what sort of potential is out there for that? And can we finally kill um, web sockets with WebRTC? Uh, I mean, not for a long time. I don't think we're we're even close to that. Um, I mean, for browser support reasons and for um, for uh, you know just reliability and speed uh, and and control and ease of debugability, all these things are easier in a centralized world. But um, so I think like startups and businesses and stuff are are. Uh, Aren't going to suddenly start distributing all their all their sites over WebRTC uh, anytime soon. But um, but I think it's I think it's interesting. I I think we we'll see more uh, experiments using WebRTC uh, to to decentralize things. There's a lot of potential. I feel like um, one of my uh, friends actually built uh, this kind of cool cool demo uh, that hints at the possible future. Uh, they um, built a, it's called Peer Server. It's basically like a IDE in uh, the browser where you can, you build like a backend and a data, you can talk to a database and all this stuff. You basically write like, build an app basically. But then it run, it's all hosted in your browser. Um, and you can um, send a link to somebody and they'll hit, actually hit your browser and all the like, what would have been in a normal backend is running in your browser. That's kind of a cool direction. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I think it's wide open. I don't really know what the future holds, um, but everyone should check out if, uh, this npm package called uh, wrtc, which is WebRTC in Node on the server. So you can um, you know you can talk to web nodes, and nobody will know uh, the, the nodes will think that the uh, WebRTC that the the node they're talking to is a browser, but it's actually uh, running on the server, um, which is kind of kind of cool. I think it. Uh, I mean, WebTorrent's going to use it. 
but that opens up a lot of potential. Is, is that useful that I, for talking server to server as well, or is that just a silly idea? Uh, um, I think so. Server to server um, makes uh, less sense for the reason that um, uh, you you don't need to really do any kind of of, of NAT hole punching. You, usually, a server like wants to be connected to, and uh, so it has like a public uh, IP address. Uh, there's no like you know you know uh, doing any kind of stun or or any kind of stuff like that signaling to to to, to connect. Um, but I don't know. Still, I mean, it'll still work, though. It'll still work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll work. And, and there's this an know they're a server, huh? And perhaps you don't know they're a server. Yeah, right. And so if you want to like just think of every every node in the network is exactly the same, then then yeah, WebRTC is the way to go because yeah, it's like a nice abstraction that you know lets you. It's not like it's going to hurt. I guess that uh, that you use WebRTC to to connect to somebody with a public IP. It just means it'll be faster to connect. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, it it also it allows you to kind of browserify all the things almost. Which is kind of cool. I mean, that you can just take your server and browserify it and run it in the browser because it's the same protocol. I think that's <laughs> a, that's a really that's cool a thing. cool idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's insane. Um, now, Google Hangouts is they're starting to use WebRTC now, aren't they? Yeah. So it, it, it's like it is getting mainstream adoption. It's not like going to be a fringe tech for. I know Citrix is also Citrix is also using it for their meeting stuff, which is kind of cool. Yeah. So yeah. I mean. So so so. I think uh, IEs announced they're they're gonna they're they're considering um, a WebRTC, a, a slightly different API for it, but they're it'll ultimately ultimately be compatible. Um, why? Why is it a different API? What? <laughs> what is wrong with it anyway? <laughs> I think it's. I think there's a good reason for it. Uh, maybe um, that there's there were two competing kind of uh, of approaches to. Uh, to the API. Remember how I mentioned that there is the kind of telecoms approach? Well, well that's the one that uh, that was was gaining traction initially. And then some people were like, uh, "Let's make an API that would be nice for JavaScript developers." They called it the um, object API. So instead of playing around with strings of 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 uh, basically strings of these blo- these these this weird format. Uh, and like m- like writing regular expressions to like change these these arcane strings to to change the way your your connection works. Instead, you can just like call methods on 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 an, on an, an object. Um, so it's actually a nicer API, I think. Um, but but and they'll ultimately be compatible under under the hood. Mm, okay. Mm. And I think actually Chrome is going to support the new API too. So that's like the future anyway. So no, it's not the no, worst. No. But um but yeah, I think I think that. Uh, it's 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 being used in a lot of places. Amazon uh, is using it in the Kindle, actually. So if you uh, if you've heard of Amazon Mayday, uh, where you um, you can if you're uh, confused about something on your on your device, you can actually hit a button and it will call uh, a support agent, and you'll see them on you'll see the like a video of uh, the agent you're talking to on on the device, but they can't see you, um, and you it, it's like really instant. You just hit a button, and then suddenly you're like talking to a person to help you with your, your, your device, and then they can see your screen, so it has screen sharing. That's all implemented using WebRTC, which is pretty insane. Um, pretty cool use of it, I think. Cool. Um, anyone else got any thoughts on the future of peer-to-peer in Node? Um, we, we seem to be at a, uh, a still a relatively experimental phase, even though like PeerFlix seems to be one of the standouts uh, in in terms of its ability to do really clever stuff in a really solid way. Um, everything else, well, most other things still t- still seem to feel very experimental. 
Does anyone have any thoughts on where we're heading in Node, um, what the potential uh, is, etc.? Well, I, I'm working on a thing um, at the moment, um, uh, Secure Scuttlebutt. So it's basically like, uh, it's like the ear to CouchDB in the sense that the it has data replication, except that it's data replication that's guaranteed to work. Um, you can't do anything. The user of this database, I mean, this is going to be a weird database, but you won't be able to do anything that will fuck up replication. Um, replication will work, and the user model will be um, asymmetric cryptography, so you can get data via someone else and then verify that it's correct. Um, and that that's that's just, I'm just like polishing that and getting that to something reasonable um, any time now that will be usable. Anyone else got any thoughts on, uh, on where we're heading with Node and um, you know, what the kinds of things that people should keep an eye out for? Well, I mean, I mean it's, it's interesting to see all this. Um, I mean, it seems that Node WebKit and these kind of easy ways to build desktop applications is kind of starting to, to, to become easier and easier to distribute. So, I mean, I think that will kind of take also these kind of apps to a whole new level because, I mean, even though PeerFlex is super stable and that kind of thing is still a command line tool and it's still, as long as you have a command line tool, it's still, it's, it's a limited audience. So, I, I think that will, that whole thing, like building desktop applications will also kind of help move P2P forward and node on not just like a, on a consumer level, I guess. Uh, um, on a more module level, uh, it's it's so hard to predict anything in Node. I mean, mad science will happen, and Dominic will make something cool. And <laughs> so, uh, I, I have high hopes. Enjoy. <laughs> um, so now, as Dominic mentioned before, this is not a very organized community in, in the sense that it really is decentralized, and it's just chaotic in terms of getting together. Um, so. The, perhaps the best way to get involved is to connect with people in this community. Other than the people who are on this episode of Node Up, who else is worth keeping an eye out for um, that is working in this area? Uh, well, definitely Yuan uh, Bennett. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, I I'd probably um, I would put Paolo on that list as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. he has a strong interest in um, um, these sort of anarchistic technologies. Um, and he's implemented some pretty crazy experiments before, so he's he's somebody that's worth connecting with. Um, is there anyone else that that you should follow on Twitter or GitHub to just um, connect with this world? Yeah, I think um, uh, also Paul Frizee is really interesting. We should put some um, Twitter handles on the, the show notes for these yeah. people. Um, and so, Dominic, you mentioned that there was um, some events coming up. Um, did you want to elaborate on those? Oh, so are we in the plug something section? No, um, you said that there, there was going to be a an ad hoc peer-to-peer get-together at some... Oh, yeah, well, possibly there will probably be something attached to um, NodeCon for you. I'm, no, I'm arriving in Ireland a few days before. Um, and um, so basically ping you if, if, you, if people are interested in, um, in joining an event that might happen. Yeah, yeah. Just follow, follow the people who might who are involved. Uh, there's also like a regular organized. Uh, there's some English thing called uh, Decentralize that does interviews and um, and organizes meetings. If you're in um, London, um, and I think there's a Decentralized Dublin as well. 
um, yeah, that's run by um, by number nine. What's his um, Anton? Anton, yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, some of the guys in um, in in Ireland are, are pretty switched on to this stuff. Um, is is Magna still in Ireland? Or is he? No, 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 no. Sweden. No, no, he never left Ireland. No, um, oh, he's in right. Sweden. Yeah. Okay. Magnus is someone to follow for. Uh, that's um, if you're interested in in Bitcoin, particularly. Mention um, Astro too. Astro one one three eight on Twitter. He's worth following. Okay, uh, so we should probably wrap up um, and do some plugs. Um, so, uh, Feroz, do you want to start us off with the plugs there? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'll plug my my friend's uh, webmail service. Uh, it's called Scramble.io. It's uh, encrypted webmail for humans. Um, it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, it's all, like JavaScript uh, cryptography. Uh, uh, it uh, uses a notary system to uh, basically allow you to look up anyone's public key uh, by asking like eight servers. Uh, and then if like six of the eight reply and all agree, then you know that it's probably the right public key and you put the servers in different countries and it's pretty cool. It's pretty usable uh, email service as far as uh, encrypted uh, mail goes, and um, you know, uh, it's, I think it's worth checking out. So scramble.io. Cool, um, Dominic. Hey, I'd like to plug SquatConf. Um, this is going to be a, a Node hacker conference um, that will be in a squat in Paris. Um, so far, my understanding is this is going to probably going to be sometime in November, um, but that's all I can. Dominic, I can what is a squat? What 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 is a squat? Well, uh, squat is a, a building that is occupied, but no one is paying rent. Okay, all right, sounds great. Open a haven for all kinds of interesting people. Awesome. D- it doesn't sound like it'll have a very good internet connection. Oh yeah, well conferences don't anyway. So ah, uh, very good. <laughs> yeah. uh, Matthias, have you got a plug that you want to put in? Yes. So. I'm going to be a little, little bit selfish and, and plug my turnstream module because I'm looking for contributors to help maintain that uh, as I move on to more crazy peer-to-peer things. Uh, and I would also think I want to plug uh, the dead project that I'm doing with uh, Max Ogden. We also we have a bunch of contributors, but like people should check that out. Super cool. Cool. Uh, Tim? Yeah, I want to plug the, the work my girlfriend is doing with an open-source cryptocurrency wallet called HiveWallet, HiveWallet.com. Um, yeah, it, it's all open source. Um, Browserify crypto wallet does Bitcoin and Litecoin. They're going to support other currencies soon. Um, Dogecoin. Uh, I'm, I think they're they're trying to get that's like uh, on their highest priority. <laughs> I, I refuse to to even attempt to say the name lest I be put into a category. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, basically, you, you can you can download this thing. It's it's all it's all on GitHub. It's um, yeah, it's cool. It uses some of uh, Feroz's stuff. Um, Browserify. It's all cool. So yeah, check it out. Highwallet.com. Um, so my plug is something that was brought to my attention today. A website called MotherCoders.org, and it's an interesting organization. I think it might be uh, Oakland or San Fran based, um, but it's a um, they're an organization that. Uh, dedicated to helping um, mothers get into coding. So they have free uh, childcare um, and then they run coding events um, specifically tailored to you know, mothering women. Um, and I think that's a really cool thing because um, I've got kids and I've seen what mothers go through with kids and 
that's that's a really worthy thing to do. So mothercoders.org. Um, so on to events. Tim, yeah. take it away. So um, there's numerous upcoming events. One of them happens to be nodeconf.eu. Uh, it's from running from September 7th to the 11th. Um, this year it's in Waterford Island, and you can find out more information at nodeconf.eu. Uh, there's CampJS 4 coming up on October 31st to the November 3rd, I believe. Um, you can go there, go to campjs.com. It's in Australia. Um, that's my conference. It's I, I think it's a good one. Uh, basically, uh, yeah, it's cool. So there's also November, which is in November. From the 15th to the 16th, 2014, uh, you can find out more information at nodevember.org. There's CSS Conf Asia, um, November 19th, uh, and you can go to 2014.cssconf.asia. That's in Singapore. Um, and also in Singapore is jsconf.asia. And it's run um, just after CSS Conf, uh, November 20 to the 22nd. And you can go to 2014.jsconf.asia for more information about that. And I know that they've got a lot of uh, really awesome proposals and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, JS Compasia. Um, yeah, really, will, will be very awesome. So, yeah, that are the those are the upcoming events that we are aware of. Excellent. Um, and if you have other events that you want to get on the list in future shows, then you should uh, probably ping note up on Twitter. Um, so, parting words, thanks very much to our special guests, Matthias, Faros, and Dominic. Leave a review on iTunes for NodeUp. It helps the uh, the ranking um, in iTunes. Follow NodeUp on Twitter. Um, and thanks for listening. See you later. Bye. Bye. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.